Hi, this is Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And this is actually a pretty awesome, amazing new experience for me as the host of this podcast, because on episode 82, we had a woman named Kate Arthur, a long, long, long time friend of mine. And uh, at the time, she talked a lot about being a twin sister, and we were so intrigued by that that I got in touch with her sister, who is now live on the phone with us, Becky Arthur Dewey. And uh, before we go any further, I just want to mention that I also know Becky, so it wasn't like I've never met her before. So as you listen to this interview, you'll hear two familiar people talking. We both studied together at the University of Pittsburgh, and she just started a new chapter in her professional career, and she's offering bookkeeping, payroll, and administrative support to local businesses. So if you are local to her, um, hit us up. Anyway, welcome, Becky. How are you? I am great. How are you doing? It's so good to hear your voice. Yeah, uh, likewise. It's really good um, to hear you. And it was funny because I was mentioning in the pre-little ramble interview how much you sound like your sister. But the one thing I was going to note that's very different is like your diction, your word choice. So I, I always found that fascinating that, um, you know, family members can sound similar and all that. But before we get into all the twin stuff, because I'm going to bore you with annoying questions you've probably answered a million times. Uh, where exactly are you living now and how old are you? And what generation, if any, do you consider yourself a member of? I am living in Oregon City, Oregon, uh, relocated here from Portland two years ago and spent 10 years in Portland and prior to that kind of bounced around a little bit after college. I am 39 years old, technically considered a millennial, um, and I... I'm hoping that I can make the name millennial proud because <laughs> um, I think sometimes millennials <laughs> get a bad rap and I'm pretty cuspy millennial, so borderline millennial, um, but I'm not really sure I really fit into any any category when it comes to the generation. Yeah, I, I will say it's been like 10 years since we actually hung out in person, but I would definitely not describe you as a typical millennial. So maybe it has to do with age and all that. And actually, I'm pretty similar to you. I just think you're more of a like old school kind of personality. So I wouldn't put you in any generation. Yeah, I think we're in the age group where it, we just we don't want to be in in a in a generational group <laughs> or or labeled in any way, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's important for it's like a weird identity complex for a lot of us. And I was reading a book recently on how it, it's really the fault of the digital era. Like it's we just saw something that will never come back, but we actually like navigated it and used it enough that we're like uh, tenuous. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, you know, we're a little bit like careful about this new world, like social media and all that kind of stuff. So some of us at least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you a fan of social media? Like in general, what are your thoughts on that? I am not. Um, I'm not a huge fan of social media or mainstream media. <laughs> I quite honestly think that it has led to the speeding up of our society. And I am always and will always be an advocate for slowing things down and really just taking time to this is pretty cliche, but stop and smell the roses. Um, and I think, yeah, social media really makes things move so much faster. And it, I don't know, it takes away from our human connections. And so I'm not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big user of social media platforms. I don't have Twitter. I use Facebook, but I mostly use Facebook to learn about bird species because I belong to several um, Pacific Northwest birding groups. And I have kind of, I've always been in love with birds, but I've more recently kind of started learning more through these 
these birding groups. And it also just makes my news feed so much more fun to look at because it's not all about politics or I also do I also do want to say social media is amazing for the simple fact that you get to see people that you don't get to see in person. So, you know, seeing their their lives and their children grow up and that is that is one aspect of social media that I'm 100% on board with. I I'm right there with you. I think that's a really well a good way to describe it. And um my my son just turned um 7 and my uh my daughter's not even like 2 yet. So I'm, I'm actually curious because you have a nine-year-old. Uh, how afraid of her reality on like social media and all this stuff are you? Or are you just like chill? Like where do you stand on all that? I am not afraid. Um, I think that it's really important as parents to communicate very openly with our children. I think that, you know, it's a thing of the past to try to shelter them um from the realities of life and i am hoping that i can just maintain i have an awesome relationship with my daughter who's nine um, her name's june and we have an awesome open relationship when it comes to communication i'm i'm very honest with her and some i've you know talked to a lot of friends of mine parents and non-parents and they i i've just kind of gotten a lot of different opinions about this topic. Um, Her father is extremely worried about social media um, and, you know, mainstream media and just, he's more, a little bit more aligned with, you know, conservative um, views and, (laughs) and he, he is a little more fearful of the impacts that those kinds of things can have. And I do believe that that some some of that fear is um, logical and rational, but at the same time, I am not fearful. And I think that the the key is communicating with our children and and just making them aware of what the dangers could potentially be. That's awesome. And yeah, and I, like I said, I'm like not there yet, so I'm not even thinking about it. But um, it's comforting to hear your take on it because that is like what I would like to take, and that's kind of a good segue into like my first question about like the, the family dynamics for you. Um, and again, I mean, this show's really just about your perspective on death. So I am going to ask you right away after this question, uh, what you think happens when you die, just to give you like an extra 10 seconds to think about it. But real quick, your sister and I both self-identify as hippies, which is like either common or uncommon, depending on where you live in this country. Um, I'm just curious, do you also identify as one or is that just for her? Or what's your thought on that? Um, I do not identify as a hippie. Um, there are totally people who would identify me as a hippie. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. It, it's all a spectrum in, in everything, in my opinion. Everything is a spectrum when it comes to empathy, um, you know, when it comes to style and personality. It's it, We all fall somewhere on a spectrum and you know, even whether it's a political spectrum or a societal spectrum, I don't consider myself a hippie, but I love to do lots of things that maybe classical hippies do, you know, like dig in the dirt and uh, go birding and be outside in, in nature. Um, so I think that, yeah, I probably could be described as a hippie, but it really just depends on who you ask. 
you mentioned that you're into birding and that's something that I've like vaguely heard of, but I've never actually done or read a book about or even known anyone who does it. Can you briefly describe what is birding? How did you get into it? And if someone listening, it kind of like piques their interest or something, what would you recommend to them? So I have always been into birds. Um, I just, I think I like to look up at the sky and down at the ground a lot. So um, I, and I grew up just in the woods um, in Pennsylvania. And so I've always really been into birds, but I really started getting into them more when I got my first really nice pair of binoculars. So if anyone's interested in getting into birding, um, which is essentially watching birds, um, you can learn to identify them by the way they look or the way they sound. Some people might argue that if you can't identify them by the way they sound, then you're not really a, a true birder, which I disagree with. Um, I like to identify them by the way they look. I'm just fascinated by the number of species we have. In Oregon, we have an, an amazing place called Savi Island, and it has migratory birds, um, mostly waterfowl, ducks, and cranes and things like that and so that's what I do in the winter is I take my binoculars um and I go out to Savi Island and look at birds and it's just so peaceful and beautiful and I love it so it's it's a way to be outside and connect with nature and that's really what it's all about in my world yeah yeah and that's why I thought it'd be kind of an interesting segue and then Right away, I do just want to know, like, what is your actual uh, thought process on what's going to happen to you specifically when you die? Like your sense of consciousness, your sense of self and your body and all that. Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us. And it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Yeah, so this is this is really um, one of the reasons I was so intrigued um, to come on this podcast because my twin sister Kate and I have extremely differing views on most everything. Um, we are so much alike, but we are also so different. And one of the things we view very differently is is death um, and grief. And we've, you know, as um, anybody who's who listened to the podcast with Kate um, would would know that we have experienced recently in the last, you know, in 2021, our father um, passed away um, and he had taken his own life. And that experience really brought forth the difference between what I believe and, and what, I mean, what my, all my sisters, because we have, we have a lot of other, we have four other sisters. Um, and so there's six of us all together. And so each one of us had to experience this massive loss, um, differently. And it just really brought to the foreground each of our different perspectives. And I, it was something that I had seen coming for my entire life. And so I did not know when it was going to happen, but I just, you know, I knew that someday my dad would be gone and um, I would have to face this. And it just so happened that I really didn't have a great relationship with him. So when he actually did 
pass. It was almost like it was a different grieving process because I had been grieving a sort of death of him for my entire life. Um, and so that was where I feel like it really was different because Kate had just started a relationship with him or a different relationship with him just prior to him taking his life. It just, each one of our experiences was different and it really, um, it kind of just, it made us all want to talk about it a lot. And so I've been thinking about it a lot. And it also is crazy because I never could talk about death at all when I was a kid. I was so scared of it. And I was so scared of talking about my mom or anybody that I loved. Um, I'm not scared of it anymore. I'm, I don't fear it. Um, I've read a lot about the life death life cycle. And my belief is that everything is energy based. And when I die, my body will go into the ground and I've made it specifically clear that I do not want anyone to keep any parts of my body. I don't want any of my ashes kept or retained. I want them all to go back into the ground or the river. And then my energy, which is not something that's only mine. It's, it's part of the collective energy. Wow. That's cool. It, it, it is. It's something that it's not mine. It came from something way before me, way bigger and way more, uh, just kind of incomprehensible it's really i think it's a concept that is i don't i don't understand it in the least but i find that to be comforting just knowing that it was someone it was something else before me and it will it will become something else after me and so it really gives me a an understanding of the ability to live in the present and also understand that every single action and word and breath that I take in this in this like realm of existence it will have an impact um, whether it's great or small you know and so it gives me an idea that I should really be like more conscious of everything I do because it, it is not going to end with me. Wow. Oh my gosh. That was one of my favorite answers I've ever heard to that question. <laughs> I'm so intrigued by all that because it, well, it's extremely philosophical. It's very thoughtful. It's absolutely both unscientific and yet scientific sounding to me, you know, and I'm, uh, I'm saying that with, with praise. Um, but, but I think the part that really appeals to me is that it's like such a challenge for me to defy the notion that every little thing I do matters. Like every time I want to pretend that it doesn't cause it's convenient. I know it does like returning shopping carts where they go, putting something back on the right shelf. Um, not telling someone what you think sometimes, you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's, it's a really profound answer. And I'm actually, I'm curious, look, I mean, you've always been very mature to me, like even 10, 15 years ago when we were hanging out, um, is this like a newish philosophy of yours or have you kind of been carrying this for a long time? Um, it's been, I would say a new, I think I've experienced more death, um, you know, tragic death, um, and expected, you know, and, and kind of expected death with elderly people. 
Um, and I've just had to support a lot of people through the grieving process and, and it gives me comfort. And this is why I find it so interesting because it is something, it is, I would say fairly new to me to have, um, peace around the idea of it because, um, I know it's going to happen. I don't know when, you know, but I think that if we have this understanding that it's not the end, um, it's the beginning of something, um, it makes it just more easily discussed and it makes it kind of, uh, it gives us a reason to just really focus on life, um, on, on living our lives to the fullest. And that's cliche too, but it really, that's, I think that it really just came up mostly because I've just had to be, I've had to come to terms with it. You know, my mom's getting older and I've lost people, young people too. And so I just really, and I also just, I want my daughter to not fear death. I don't want her to go through life fearing death. And I, I want her to understand that, you know, when I do go on to the next, whatever it is, um, nobody knows. But when I do, I don't want her to be consumed by grief. I just want her to really value everything that we had. Yeah, that's it's such a weird challenge because I feel like I'm tap dancing with my parents about this all the time. And and I'm saying this because I know they both listen to this pretty commonly. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a credit to them. They're trying to do what you're doing. And it's like awkward sometimes, especially in my 20s. It was more awkward. Like they would bring up their will. And I'd be like, uh, why are you telling me this? And they're like, because we care about you and we're trying to like set something up for you that might help you someday. And I'd be like, don't talk about dying, you know? And, and so it's, it's cool. It's cool to hear you talking about it. Um, you know, you said you'd, you knew you'd always lose your dad, but I have a feeling, but I wanted to double check. You meant like before your mom, right? Like that his like longevity was in question to you, or did you just mean someday you were going to lose him? Cause that's the natural order. I always had a fear that my dad was going to take his own life is what I meant by that. Um, okay. Yeah. I always, my dad had struggled with mental health issues. I personally believe everybody does, you know, it's, there's the spectrum again. Everybody has a spectrum of, of things we can handle. And I think it, it has a lot to do with generational trauma. Um, I know that my dad and this is kind of also going back to just the, the the past, the energy that we are made of, it it affects us still, you know, everything that happened to whatever the energy was that our bodies, our, our souls consist of, um, it affects us still. And that's what I do believe, like there's such things, you know, as generational trauma and, and just generational effects, consequences of energetic um items um but my dad suffered all of my life and i don't i mean prior to maybe when i was seven he was more emotionally um present but then once i became i just basically kind of outgrew his maturity level in my opinion and i just he struggled so much and he was very much a, a little boy in a man's body emotionally. And so I just knew he struggled and I didn't take the time, um, you know, when I was in high school to spend nurturing him, which obviously as a child, that's not 
our jobs to nurture our parents emotionally, but he needed more than than he had, and he just struggled. And so I kind of knew always that he was going to. I was always fearful in college when one of my sisters would call and I thought they were going to tell me that my dad had taken his life. And so when it actually happened, Kate and I had just talked to him a couple of days prior and he, you know, it was actually really incredible because he apologized to me for the first time in my life. It was a heated exchange at first um, because he at first started to blame Kate and I for not taking more time to really connect with him when we were younger. And I kind of yelled at him and said, we were kids and we, you know, (laughs) you can't expect that from a child. And he said, you know what? I'm sorry, hon. And that was like his last words basically to me. And so it really actually made it so that I could be at peace. And so it was really weird because I had no idea that he was going to, you know, take his own life. But I found this like peace in it because I just, I know he's at peace now. And he was never at peace in all the time that I have ever knew him here. And so that made it not easy because it was not easy at all and then there was you know the the talking to my daughter about what had happened and I struggled on how to tell my daughter that you know her grandfather whom she had only met once or twice had um actually done what he did and so I got a lot of consult I got a, a lot of advice from people in my family and friend group on how to tell June or if I should tell June the truth. And I decided to tell her the truth, um, that he had taken his own life. And, and that was really intense, that decision to tell her. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did that go? If you can kind of generalize it, you know, it actually was, I, I took a solid week to really, and it, it kept me up at night trying to figure out how to, tell her and talk about it. Um, I have a family member who's a psychiatrist and I consulted with her who's, um, she's an amazing woman and I, I value her opinion, um, so much. And she really, she's on the same school of thought where just, I, she's more, um, wanting to be really honest and communicative with her kids. And so, I'm on that same, I just, I, there was no way around it for me. I couldn't lie. I couldn't tell her, you know, or, or at least even, I couldn't even skate around the truth. I just really wanted to be honest with her and open that dialogue. And so I did tell her, I just sat her down and I told her, um, that he had taken his own life. And, um, she said, mom, so now Grandpop is with Garcia. And so Garcia is a horse that my mom and my stepfather had lost just prior to my dad. And so she instantly had this, oh, well, so now Grandpop's with, with Garcia. So she kind of understands, you know, some concept of an afterlife um, 
And she also suggested the first thing she said after that was she suggested setting up a memory table for him. And so that day we set up a memory table with a plant. He's a, he was a big gardener. So we set up with a plant and a picture of him and a candle, um, kind of like, you know, in Dia de los Muertos, kind of an ofrenda, like, and I just think that's, that was, I, <laughs> it was really emotional for me um, because my daughter is nine years old, but she is extremely emotionally aware. And I would like to believe and, and hope that she is, you know, always continues to just um, be aware of her emotions and be able to talk about them. So incredible. I cannot thank you enough for such a, great interview and such a great answer to my question that I, I was hoping you would give such a good answer to and you totally did you knocked it out of the park I mean that's incredible and that's really really important I think for anyone listening who's a parent or a potential parent because um, I do uh, one of my best friends always tells me like don't ever lie to your children and just always be honest with them and her three kids are like amazing just amazing 20 somethings all three of them so I'm like yeah no I'm, I'm doing your strategy um, and so I think that's exactly out of her playbook um and, and we're running out of time, so I, I feel bad because I did bill this as like an episode where we're going to talk about twin dynamics. So I'm just going to kind of throw out as my last question, and it's not a lazy question, but I figure it'll just work out well. To whatever extent you feel like it, um, I'd just like you to answer the overall question. Do you think there's something magical to having an identical twin, or do you think it's just like any other sibling who gives a crap move on? And then obviously, you know, not just a yes or no question. <laughs> I absolutely think it is magical. I think it is, so this is, I'll make this as kind of brief as possible, um, but this it touches on kind of a larger philosophical um, thought that I have had. It's just that we all exist on this, you know, plane of existence. Um, we're here now. We came in when we came in, whether it was by you know, natural vaginal birth or cesarean. Um, it, we came in when we came in. And, and before that, we were floating in kind of our, the, we were floating as an attachment to our mother's bodies. Um, and then we came in and we, you know, start with very little personal choice because we're infants and aren't capable of making personal choices. But we, we go through life and we have more opportunity to make personal choices and direct the, our atomic beings around. And so the fact that Kate and I came in within 10 minutes of each other, um, I don't, my mom doesn't actually know whether we were identical, were identical or not. We look and sound very similar, but we just don't know for a fact. We've never had our DNA tested. I'm like, mom, was there one sack or two you know like but she doesn't remember she had a lot of kids so she, we were her fourth and fifth child children so um but the fact that we came in together um really close I mean it's almost you know there's twins that are two minutes apart or whatever but we're we came in to this plane of existence and we are so close we fight like the Dickens we, we you know we we disagree we're really essentially like yin and yang yeah yeah but we also i mean 
there's so many things about me that are the same as her and vice versa. We just, you know, the things that we, we hate about ourselves might be like what that other, the other twin loves about themselves, you know? So it's just like, I think that it is, it is extremely magical. Um, But then again, I think that any birth is magical and humans are magical and we're all in this together in this giant swirling and faster and faster it's swirling, you know, thanks to social media and all the, all the things. So I would just say, you know, we're all in this together. And if we all can consider the impact that we have, um, we're looking, we're looking at a, a better future. It's just something that I've really recently started kind of putting out there is just my concept of God, which is that we are all God. And if we all consider ourselves God and God-like, then we'll all be inclined to take care of each other. Wow, that's really cool. And that was a great answer. And it's been a great interview. And I'm so thankful for you to coming on. I, I really identified with your vision of how death might work, but not even if like how it works works. I just love your concept of energy and the fact that it's bigger and beyond us. And I'm just going to really meditate on that for the next couple days, probably, if not longer. So Becky, Arthur, Dewey, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and helping us put another nail in the coffin. To everyone listening at home, we love you and we love your support. If you want to go the extra mile, please go to MikeyUp.com, hit the big old subscribe button. And uh, if you want to go the extra 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 mile we have a premium package for people which comes with extra goodies and uh even if you don't care about those it really helps to support us to keep this going so thank you to everyone who listens and uh thank you again to becky and my name is mike oppenheim this has been another episode of coffin talk and we will see you soon